Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Dave Lee, so without further ado, here he is. I don't know if it's uh, your part, favorite part of the service, but it's mine because this is the time I get to take my mask off for like 20 minutes. Um, we have an abbreviated service today so that we could do our budget meeting right afterwards. And if all goes well, we'll actually have you out of here before the time when our budget meeting would have normally started. So that's a plus. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do in exchange. I'm going to ask you to give me 25 minutes of your full focus, undivided attention, and give God an openness in your heart just for a few minutes here, 25 minutes, to hear what he might be saying to you. The message this morning is called The Devoted Life. You might have uh, heard this phrase before, um, absence makes the heart grow fonder. Are you familiar with this? A lot of people think Eleanor Roosevelt first said it because she made it famous. She said it a lot, but it's actually attributed to a Roman poet named Sextus Propertius who published this in a book of poems around 25 years before Jesus was born. So just prior to the birth of Christ, this guy writes this, and what he meant was, it was a, a collection of love poems, he meant that when, a, when you and a lover are physically apart, that distance makes you long for the person more. And I guess in a way, it's the opposite of familiarity breeds contempt. If you've ever been in a long-distance relationship, you probably know exactly what I'm talking about. When you can't be near the person you love, that distance makes you yearn even more strongly for that person. And since the time that, that this Roman poet put out that saying, many people have repeated it, riffed on it, even added to it. Uh, Charlie Brown once said, uh, the absence makes the heart grow fonder, but it sure makes the rest of you feel really lonely. I think this is the best variation that I've read. It's profound. It says absence makes the heart grow fonder, but prolonged absence makes the heart forget. The reason I like that so much is because I think that tells the story of a lot of people who've walked a long time with Jesus. You know, maybe when you were a, a new Christian, you guarded that time that you had with God every day. Growing up, I remember that this idea of quiet time was drummed into us nonstop. It was a given that if you walk with Jesus, you spend time with him every day, you guard it. And it was such an assumption, such a given, that for like an entire generation, we felt like it didn't even need to be said. But I feel like by not saying it, what's happened over the years is that the idea of a daily time with God has stopped being an important element of our obligation to God and has become mainly about how we're feeling that day. And as a result, as God and his word and his whole way of living become numbingly familiar, we sometimes take a break from it in order to get some distance, maybe believing that if I could just step away from God for a while, I'll miss him and then I'll come back to him. And the truth is, sometimes that works, doesn't it? Have you ever experienced that where you took a little break from God and then you missed him and you came back? I, I think over the course of my Christian life, that's happened a time or two. But what I think happens to some people, maybe a lot of people, is that they walk away for a while, and a while becomes forever. We've seen that happen in church service even. Look, I need a break, and a person takes a break 
for like 15 years. That's not a break anymore. That's retirement. That's resignation. And I think that happens sometimes in the way that we prioritize seeking out the God who is the anchor and foundation of our whole life. And it leaves us wondering where the strength of our convictions and our opinions comes from when we're so detached at times from the God who is our life. Now, I'll confess to you that um, I'm in God's word a lot. I'm in prayer a lot. But I'm in God's presence sometimes, maybe often, the way a physical trainer is in the gym. I'm often there for other people, but I'm not doing the working out. And though as a pastor, it might shock you to hear that when you are in this world professionally all the time, it gets hard to discern when I'm here for me and for my relationship with God, and when I'm here picking up things I need to teach others. So for me this year, this idea of a devotional rhythm has been an area of really great renewal for me. I, am, I became a Christ follower in 1984, and it's been a long time walking with Jesus. This has been one of those years where I've experienced such renewal in this area of my life. And I don't want to just tell you about my renewal. I want to, out of the overflow of that, share with you, testify, and encourage and exhort you to experience the same renewal, the same joy that God's been giving me. Basically, say quickly, I want to call you to a renewal in your regular devotional life, setting aside time and space for God. And that's really the first thing I, I want to say here. This is going to go quickly, so stay with me. We've got to create space for God in our lives. Because if we don't do that intentionally, life itself will push God to the margins every single chance that it gets. And so for me, it's about, first of all, setting aside time. To create space for God in my life has meant setting aside time. And because once I really get rolling with my day, I often lose control of that, what I've decided is that he will be the second thing I do in the morning. You may be wondering if the first thing has to do with the bathroom, sometimes. But I do this thing called the seven-minute workout, because that's all this old, decrepit body can handle now. I use a little app called the seven-minute workout. And if I don't get my body moving, my brain won't follow. So I do seven minutes of physical movement, and then the next thing that happens in my day is me and God sit down, and we get to enjoy some time together. That's how my rhythm is. I don't know how you're built or what your life is like. I go through life stages just like you, and so certain times in certain life stages, some rhythms are easier than others. My goal is not to have you imitate what I'm doing, but simply say, can you set aside some regular time for you and God that you can guard realistically in this stage of your life? And the second thing is to find a place for it. I think it really helps to have a consistent, quiet, beautiful, inspiring place a place free of distraction where you can focus and be still. Since the 1980s, this little um, desk sat in the corner of my parents' master bedroom. I can't tell you how many times I walked in on my... Uh, uh, <laughs> when you say you walked in on your parents, it usually has a different meaning, but I've walked into my parents' room unannounced, and I would see my dad almost all the time that he wasn't at work, sitting at that desk, praying or reading his scriptures. He, if you saw his Bible, he, it looks like his medical textbooks, just highlighted, underlined. Like, Dad, how do you even see what God's saying in, underneath all of your 
squiggles and circles. But it, I grew up seeing that, and I always associated that little nook, that desk, with my dad spending time with God. It is a very important part of my spiritual heritage. And when my parents downsized their home after retirement a couple of years ago, they gave me that desk. It now sits in a little corner of my bedroom, and my dad put it where he put it because he loved looking out his window at his backyard on his property. I think he felt like a, an old English baron or something. Just, and he loved to see the grass and the trees that helped him connect to God. And in spite of the snow you're seeing in my window, that's one of my favorite spots in our whole house is looking out that window. I was so thankful that the desk fit there because I had no other place to put it. And that desk has become holy ground for me. And I love sitting there in the mornings and just being quiet and still with God and remembering that at this very desk, for 40 years, my dad met with his Savior. And it's my privilege to sit at the same desk. And I hope someday to hand that desk down to one of my kids. I'm glad he gave it to me and not my brother. I want to, in the short time I have left, I want to turn my attention to what I do each morning. And the reason I'm going to do this is to give you ideas of components of a devotional life that I hope will inspire you, excite a hunger in you to do something. My aim is not to tell you you got to do all these parts the same way I do, but simply tell you these are the elements that are enriching my walk with Jesus. And I hope one or two or three or all of them inspire you to a hunger that renews your devotional life. I've been really helped by a, a, a journal called the Daily Kairos. And there's a digital version, which is the way to go if you like saving money, because the physical books are beautiful, but they're only 13 weeks at a time, like 25, 30 bucks a pop, and you've got to buy four of them in the year. So if you like saving money, you've got to go digital. If you love physical objects and texture and, and all that, then you've got to spend the money. What I like about this journal is that it invites me into to certain disciplines or practices on a daily basis, and I want to share some of those with you. If you're interested in following along with this journal, it's not too late to start in the year, you can scan this QR code. It'll also be, uh, I'll, I'll put that also in the recap email so you can take advantage of it along with the link. I think it's a great tool, and it's helped me a lot. The first thing it invites me to do every day is to memorize scripture. Do you know that while a lot of scripture has entered into my long-term memory through just sheer repetition, it's been a long time since I engaged in the practice, the discipline of memorizing Bible verses for the sake of memorizing. I'm glad that this is a renewed practice for me because it's been really good. You know, every Christian wants to hear God speak to them, but so often it's hard to hear his voice. I'm not sure what we're expecting to hear because uh, we may be expecting that God will talk to us in one-off direct messages just for us, and sometimes he does that. But here's what I found, is that the scripture that we memorize, the scripture that we deposit deep into our hearts and minds, that becomes the voice of God to us. It becomes the words that the Holy Spirit uses to speak to us in exactly the right situation. I love this verse, Psalm 119.11. It says, I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's not just about moral protection or guilt. It says that when I hide your word in my heart, you have the opportunity to recollect it for me 
And it makes me mindful of you. It makes it harder to violate you because I'm mindful of you. Maybe in the same way that a locket or a wedding ring, always a physical presence, reminds you when you're tempted that you have already given your heart and your promise to another. It pulls you back to something, it reminds you. And so often, the Holy Spirit dredges up the Word of God that's already deposited and says, these are the words I already spoke to you, but I'm going to pick pieces of it together. Haven't you ever found that the things that your parents said over and over and over, anything worth doing is worth doing well, right? Waste not, want not. And a thousand other sayings that your parents, to your nauseated fatigue, basically told you until you're like, please stop saying that. But guess what? For the rest of your life, in those situations, what do you hear? Those words deposited become your daddy's voice. Becomes the voice of your mother. Maybe that's why you need therapy, I don't know. But it's incredibly effective. Now, I don't know if earthly parents have earned the right for that level of influence, but our Heavenly Father has. And if we give that to Him, He will use it to speak to us in exactly the right moment, in exactly the right way. I've been using a guide that, that um, I modified from something I got online. It's 52 memory verses, one for every week of the year. And I love writing it out because in the journal, it gives you a space. And I just basically write it out longhand every day. And by the end of the week, it's in there. I've got it memorized. And I'm going to share that list with you. It's never too late to start. And I think it'll be, I, I got so blessed putting this collection together. There are 52 verses worth storing in your heart. The next thing is to give thanks. There's a section that at first I really struggled with. It says, write down three things you're thankful for. And like, you all know that a lot of people do this first thing in the morning. Day hasn't even started yet. How do I come up with three things I'm thankful for? So at first I was leaving it till the end of the day, but I started forcing myself to pause in the morning and say, okay, what am I grateful for? And I've been amazed that in the last week, I haven't repeated myself. I've come up with three fresh things that I'm grateful for before the day even gets started. I don't think the issue for most of us is that there's nothing to be thankful for, but that we don't much often like really think of that. We're not driven to consider the goodness of God. Psalm 106, 1, you got to note carefully how this verse is phrased. Praise the Lord. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. It doesn't say when he is good. Everyone does that. Everybody is thankful when good stuff happens. But it says that we are to give thanks to God because he is good. In other words, the kind of gratitude we're called to express is not in response to good things, but to the goodness of our God. And so I sometimes... The things that I'm thankful for are not things that happened yesterday, but things that are true of my life that I don't deserve. Things that I can say about myself and about my God that I didn't control or create in my life. And it's been a very life-giving process for me. Even the secular world is taking notice. Have you checked? Just Google gratitude in the, in the book section of Amazon, and you'll find that at least half the titles have nothing to do with religion. The secular world is understanding that an ungrateful heart is like a poison. It's like a cancer to the heart. Ingratitude makes a person increasingly incapable of being thankful for anything. And so we give thanks as a regular discipline to remind our hearts not to complain, not to live in want, 
not to live in deficit-mindedness. I'm going to give you another thing that's been really good for me, is to feed your soul. Feed your soul. Every day, we're invited in this journal to read a section of, of God's Word. And for me, I found it most enriching and sustainable to do the, the New Testament reading plan that Harvest puts out. It's one chapter a day, every day, Monday through Friday. And I found that pace invites me not to rush, not to just get through it. When I was doing the other big reading, I, I was getting really great coverage, but it felt like sticking your head out the window at 100 miles an hour. It's like, ah! And I was mindful that I've got like 10 minutes left in the day and 10 pages left of reading. And so I would rush through. I love this one chapter a day because it invites me to really soak in it. And what I like about this journal is that it invites me to write down not just everything I'm learning, but what's really standing out. Inviting God to give me my highlights. Jesus once said, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Remarkably, he said this in the middle of a 40-day fast. So that's saying something when you're that hungry and you say, but God's word is like bread for my soul. I think he really understood what he was saying. Another way of putting this is fasting from the Bible leads to spiritual malnutrition. If you're wondering why you're so short-tempered, so edgy, so impatient, so frenzied in your heart, so prone to think dark and evil thoughts, cut in corners, if you're wondering why, or if you just feel no energy, you can't stay awake, you can't give someone your attention. When you're wondering why you're so drained, it might very well be that your soul simply is malnourished. Because Jesus wasn't just giving a metaphor. He meant what he was saying. The same way that bread restores your body when you're hungry, the word of God is life-giving nourishment for your spirit. And without it, you are drawing entirely on the words of your own mind, your own heart, or on the words of others that have been spoken at you or over you. I love that this journal invites me not just to read God's word, but every day it asks me, What am I reading? What stands out? And what is God putting on my heart? And each day I'm able to write down one key thing that I think God is saying not to all people, but especially to my heart that day. And looking back over the days reading it, it's been a really rich thing for me to remember all the things that God has been saying to me. I hope that that's a practice for you as well. And I want you to take stock of the fact that if it's been a long time since you've eaten the Word of God for yourself, and by the way, this... Uh, old country buffet feast that we try to give you on Sunday. That's one meal in seven. This cannot be your spiritual intake. Please don't let this be the only meal you eat from God's word. Every day we need it. Every day life forces us to need it. The next element is to pray thoughtfully. And again, like I said, don't feel burning like, oh my gosh, how many are on this list? Don't make it about how many things you have to do every day. One of these things, or maybe a couple of them, will really draw you out into an area of renewal in your own life with God. Colossians 4.2 says, Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. I love that. And the alert mind is not just to ramble. Have you ever noticed when you give people who aren't used to public speaking the mic? that in that nervousness, they just start to ramble and they go, oh, I can't fill up two minutes. They end up going for like 20 minutes. 
Because when you haven't thought through what you're going to say, lots of words fill that space without having said very much. Rookie preachers go through the same thing. I might still be there, I don't know. But the point is, when you're not thinking about what you're going to say, many words fill the space, but not many of those words are valuable. So when we're forced into the discipline of writing what we're going to say, it sharpens what really is on our hearts. I'm not a person who's ever written my prayers out. I know many great Christians over history have, but as I've started to do this every day, it's really focused what it is that I want to say to God. Sometimes it's a need or a burden that's heavy on my heart, and I will write that prayer out. But very often it's just something that I want to say to God. If someone you really are close to said to you, what's one thing you want to say to me from your heart today? Do you have anything prepared? Have you thought about that? And I think just being asked to do that with God has given me, uh, it's put me in touch with parts of me that I really needed to get in touch with. Things that I want to say to God. I'll give you another thing. It's to commit yourself. This is the part that I thought was the weirdest part of the whole journal. There's one little section at the bottom that says, Today I will dot, dot, dot. Like, what's that supposed to be about? It's simply a word of intent. It's not prophecy, it's not prediction. It's just simply saying, today I will commit to something that I want to be true of me by the end of this day. Whatever it is that is most important to me for that day. And I struggled with this at first, but as I got into the rhythm, I found that it's been really helpful to focus all my energy and intent on one primary thing that I want to be able to say as I go to bed. Well, that happened today. That became true of my life. Proverbs 16.3, I really love the way this reads. Commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. That doesn't mean name it and claim it. It means what you intend to do, don't just intend out of the sheer pick myself up by the bootstraps, will, a power of will. It says, simply say, God, if this honors you, make this true of my day today. It's important to me I believe it's important to you. Don't make it all about what I did through my cleverness and my hard work. Help me get there by the end of the day. I've been putting increasingly audacious things on there just to see if God's showing up. And that points me to the last thing. Locate God. Here's what I'll say about that. One of the the things my family knows about me, my wife especially, is that I'm really bad at finding things in the refrigerator. Anybody else? You know how many times I'm standing in front of them going, and I, you'll hear this a lot in my house, honey, the jelly's missing. And she says, no, it's there, look. I'm like, no, it's not there. And here's my problem, okay? I'm, you, I'm, I'm like a simpleton. I'm used to the jelly being in one spot. So I only look in that one spot and go, no, it's not there. If someone has moved the jelly to another part of the refrigerator, it might as well be invisible because I just don't see it. So then in exasperation, Jeannie has to come downstairs and she's like, move stuff around. She goes, it's right there. I'm like, oh, I didn't see it. And then she rolls her eyes, looks at me, goes, and this is every day. Sometimes you just have to look a little harder. I didn't realize how prophetic that is. God's word in Jeremiah 29, 13 says, if you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. Wholeheartedly. 
In other translations, with your whole heart or with all your heart. That's the key. It's not just, where are you? I don't see you. You must be gone. Too often that happens to us. We assume God is absent or has turned his back on us. He's neglecting us because we try to locate him in our lives and we don't see him. But sometimes the problem is that we've only picked one area of our lives where God's supposed to show up. And if he's not showing up there, then he's not, he's not there. I need this to happen, God. And if you don't do this, then I don't think you're faithful. I don't think you're there in my life. That's why a more well-rounded pursuit of God is so important. Because maybe you've decided the jelly's supposed to be right there, but it's just right there. It's not all the effort in the world, but it's some effort. To say to God, you have the right to show up where you will show up. You are in my life. You're showing up on a nearly daily, hourly basis But if I don't know how to look for you, if I don't train my heart to do that, I will go through an entire day assuming God was absent. He's neglected me. He's disappeared from my life. I once heard this in the 80s. It's always stuck with me. If God seems far away, guess who moved? The truth is that God is trying with all his might to be God with us. If he feels far away, it's not because he wants to be. God is showing up in our lives. We just don't always look for him where he's showing up. And this simple discipline, at the end of the day, this section of the journal that says, how has God shown up today? That part I always leave till nighttime. It's the last thing I do in the day. And I reflect on my day, and I write down one way that I really did locate God in my day. And it's amazing to be able to go to bed at night saying each night, I was able to write something in that section. I didn't think I'd be able to, because I'm genuinely like too honest to just fake it and put something really Christian-y in there and just go to bed. I'll struggle with it. Like, like, seriously, where where did he show up? If I try, I'm able to fill that section in every day. What a gift. What a blessing that I can close my day that way. How did God show up today? Half the time, it's about where we're looking, not whether God's there. Obviously, and I'll say it again, because if I don't say this a hundred times, people will walk home going, forget that, man, that's way too much. I don't know what that guy's smoking, but he's crazy. I'm not telling you to do all of it. It'd be great if you did, but guess what? I'm almost an empty nester. I'm in a very different place than most of you all. You still have to take care of your kids. I, I don't even know what my kids are doing half the time. I love them, but they take care of themselves or it's on them. And so I've got this whole new kind of freedom. It's like a second singleness almost, right? Or when you are just newly married and it's like, oh, I don't have to take care of anybody right now. And so I'm able to pay attention again to what's going on in here. So I have a luxury that you don't have. Plus, this stuff is my job. So (laughs) I could even come to work and extend that time if I had to. I know you can't compete with that. And I don't expect you to. Figure out how to create space in your life for God that is sustainable and realistic right now in your life stage. If you're in the busiest season in your job, this is not the time to create an ambitious goal that's not sustainable. If you've got lots of little kids and you barely know what day of the week it is, it's not that time of your life to create like a, a six-hour daily regimen of spiritual practices. But you can do something every day, even if it's just one of these elements and you decide, I'm going to dig into that, do it. Something is always better than nothing. I think there's this greed in the human heart that says, if I can't have it all, I'm not going to do any of it. Don't give in to that lie. 
When you're hungry, even a nibble is good enough. I hope for more than that from you. I'm pressing you to do as much as you can, but make it realistic to the life you're in right now so that you don't just set yourself up for frustration and failure. Like most of our New Year's resolutions of getting up at four in the morning and working out for six hours a day, it's just not going to happen. You're not, you're not going to do it. Find something you can guard every day right now where you are. The important thing then is after you set that realistic goal, get out there and begin. And I'm not saying this as religious duty. I'm telling you out of the overflow of joy that as I've reinstated this regular practice and rhythm into my life for no one else but me and God, there's been a growing refreshment and joy for me that I want all of you to experience. I'll just end by saying that our relationship with God is a real relationship. We don't just use that word lightly. It's a real relationship. And so it works so similarly to every relationship. There are friends I was once really close to, but I haven't talked to them in five or ten years. I still feel close to them, but really I'm close to my memories of them. I'm close to the idea of them. I'm no longer close to them at all. So that's why when someone who's much closer to them says, oh, I ran into the the other day. Did you know that um, their fourth kid is? I'm like, whoa, they have four kids now? And in my mind, I feel a little embarrassed because I'm like, that person feels closer to me than that. But how could I not know? Last time I really checked in, they had one. I missed three kids in their lives. And yet in my heart, I think, oh, that's my good friend, John. I think it's more accurate to say he was my good friend, but we've lost touch. And that's the invitation I'm extending to you, is that many of us are fond of the echoes of God, the memories of God, the best days we had with God. But in any relationship, what is happening today builds that relationship. And so I exhort you, in the name of Christ, to experience renewal in your relationship with God every day. Do something every day that draws you closer to him, that puts you in his presence, gives him the opportunity to say something to you. Otherwise, it'll only be people in your own neurotic voice speaking and filling your mind day after day after day. All those voices want something from you. All those voices weigh you down. The voice of God gives you life. So I pray that you will make space for that. We're going we're gonna to bring the service to a close any minute here. So I'm going to invite you just to take a moment and in like 15 seconds, just pause for a second. Where are you at right now? And make one small concrete commitment in your heart today about your daily rhythms. And then we'll sing a closing song. I'll come back up to dismiss us. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.